Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we're talking about Pope Francis' relationship with the Sunni Grand Imam Ahmed Al-Tayeb. A new book written by Judge Mohammed Abdel Salam reveals how the path of reform that the two have undertaken together hasn't always been easy. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a rather cold and a little wet, rainy Rome, Colleen. Ah, it's actually pretty nice here today. It's it's my favorite time of year in New Orleans. It's the time when all the jasmine blooms, so everywhere you walk around you get the sweet smells in the air. Um, you guys are advancing in your uh, opening up again, right? Yes, we're back in the orange uh, zone, and uh, uh, the government is hoping that by June they will be able to open probably everything unless there is a, a sudden rise in the infection rate. Um, Jerry, let's get right into talking about our main story. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been impossible for us to imagine the Pope having the kind of strong relationship with a top Muslim leader that Pope Francis has with the Grand Imam Ahmed Al-Tayeb. Uh, back in 2019, we know that the two signed the groundbreaking document on human fraternity together in Abu Dhabi. But there's a new book by the Muslim judge who was intimately involved in the process of putting that document together. And in it, he explains that that road wasn't always easy. Judge Mohammed Abdel Salam presented his new book, The Pope and the Grand Imam, A Thorny Path, to Pope Francis on Thursday of last week, and he sat down with you the next day to talk about it. Uh, so before we get into what's in the book, can you just explain briefly who Judge Abdel Salam is and why he was so involved in this relationship between the Pope and the Grand Imam? Well, the, the judge, is a, he studied Islamic law, he is a graduate of Al-Azhar University, and then he, be, he became a judge. He happened to meet the Grand Imam uh, soon after he became rector of the, the Grand Imam became rector of Al-Azhar University. And uh, then when the Grand Imam was appointed Grand Imam, in, I think it was 2010 or 2012, he uh, sent a note to the Grand Imam congratulate him. And the Grand Imam remembered him. And so he invited him to come and... Uh, chat, and he then appointed him as his legal counselor. And he became really very close to the Grand Imam. They share a similar vision. And he, he liked the Grand Imam because the Grand Imam, who's now 75 years old, is a, is a moderate figure in Islam. I was also extremely honored to have the chance to present my newly published book on the journey of human fraternity that was set by His Holiness Pope Francis, along with his 
brother, his eminent, the Grand Imam. So this whole book tells the story behind the document on human fraternity. Um, and I think it'd be good for us to just refresh our listeners and maybe ourselves too on why that document was was so significant. Like what effect has it had in, in the Middle East? Uh, that document is the first document ever written by an Islamic leader and the Pope. And it really goes to the heart of how you build peace in the world, how you uh, overcome the extremism, the violence, the abuse of religion, using religion to support terrorism, to support violence. Uh, it also expresses concern for the poor and the point of the document is that it is to be used in the curriculum in Al-Azhar, so in the training of universities, but also in institutions throughout the world, and also be studied by Catholics. And so they set up, after the ceremony of the presentation, that famous one in Abu Dhabi, they set up a higher committee for human fraternity, in other words, to promote and implement the tenets of this document to get people thinking and discussing it. And uh, the judge is the secretary general of this. We've started to see it implemented in some schools already, right? We've seen it in some schools, but also, I mean, significantly, the United Nations General Assembly has approved one day as an international day for human fraternity. And it's the 4th of February of every year, which is the day that they signed the document in Abu Dhabi. It was very interesting. When Benedict was Pope, 2005 to 2013, the relations with Islam went down. Right. He describes, the judge describes in the book that they actually like declared a freeze on the relations. Um, maybe you could talk a little about why that happened. Well, it happened in two stages, as it were. First of all, there was the speech, which the lecture that Benedict XVI gave in Regensburg University, which was his old university, in September 2006. <laughs> und inhumanes finden wie dies das er vorgeschrieben hat den glauben den er predigte durch das schwert zu verbreiten in which he quoted a byzantine emperor which was offensive in linking islam to violence yeah the quote was something about you know uh, show me where in muhammad's teachings you get anything but you know, things that are evil and inhuman. It was very offensive. And not only did the Muslims see it as offending the prophets, but they themselves felt offended. And there was real protests, and some people got killed in the protests. And then they tried to mend the fences, as it were, visits by Benedict to, to mosques, etc. I remember going to Turkey with him. But then there was a bombing of a Coptic church in Alexandria, in Egypt, in uh, 2000, January 2011. And after that, there was, uh, I don't know, 23 people killed, many people injured. And after that, Benedict came out with statements, which the Egyptians took as real interference in the internal affairs of the country, uh, kind of suggesting that the state was really not supporting the, the churches. But the state was dealing with, with terrorists. And so, uh, so when Benedict resigned, the relations were in, in, free, in a deep freeze. And what does that mean? It, in, in other words, that uh, 
the, they were not going to visit the, the Pope. The Pope was not going to visit them, and it it had it really dampened the whole of the the dialogue with Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were of course scholars who were trying to improve it, and there was the the Council for Interreligious Dialogue, which was trying to do something, but uh, the, the relations were effectively f- put on freeze. We have a Pope, but who? Sancte Romani Ecclesia Cardinalem Bergoglio. Jorge Mario Bergoglio of Argentina waited in the wings, Vatican TV capturing the moments before he greeted the world under his new name, Pope Francis, the first of that name. The, the judge told me when I sat down with him last uh, Friday, he, he told me that, and it's not in the book, he said it will be in the second edition because he just remembered it. <laughs> he said uh, that he was with the Grand Imam in Al-Azhar with some other friends when Pope Francis was elected. And he said, the news came up in my smartphone and I, I've started following it. And I told the grand, grand man, the Catholic Church is a new leader. And so he said, who is this new leader? Tell me about him. So uh, the judge tried to put together what information he could and he told him. And he said, and he's taken the name Francis. And the grand imam said, his election is a good positive sign, seems to me. And the, the fact that he's chosen this name seems also positive. So the grand imam says, I want to send a message of congratulations to the new pope. The, the others around him said, uh-uh, no, that's a bit too much. Uh, the, the Vatican has treated us this way, so we, we've got to be see what's coming. So eventually they agree that he could send a message of con- congratulations to the Catholic Church, and then watch what happens. And then some months later, it was Ramadan, Ramadan has just started now as we talk, and uh, the Pope Francis sent a message, first of all, to all Muslims, in which he addressed them as brothers. The original text had friends, but Francis removed that and called them brothers. But then, for the next three, four years, the Grand Imam and the judge, they observed what Francis was doing. They more or less monitored what he was doing. They watched him go to uh, Lesbos, and they saw him bring back 12 Muslims, Syrian Muslims on the plane, and that really reached home. So if you're, if you're back at Al-Azhar and you're watching all this happen, this is, this is starting to seem pretty hopeful, right? Beginning to, and then in, uh, the judge tells in the book how in November, in November evening on 2015, the Grand Imam said to the judge, look, we've waited too long, this world situation not getting any better, I need to go to the Vatican and meet the Pope. Right, because if you think back to what was happening right then, that was, you know, we had just had the Paris attack uh, at the Bataclan, and then, you know, shortly after, tensions were were rising, and, and soon after that we would have Brussels. So, yeah, this was this was a really tense moment. Yes, it was a tense moment. And so, uh, he said to the judge, you organize the meeting. So there was all, I'm not going to go through the protocol to organize the meeting, but he, 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 he organized the meeting and they went to the Vatican 23rd of May 2016. On the way to the meeting, the judge said to the Grand Imam, we've been talking a lot about how to build peace. Why don't you sponsor a peace conference in, in Cairo, invite religious leaders, and during the meeting with the Pope, invite him to come to the meeting. The judge is, is the real architect in many of these initiatives. 
when he suggested this idea to the Pope, the Pope welcomed it. He said, yes, I'll come. It was the first time ever that the Pope, any Pope, accepts a meeting organized by Muslims in which the Christians were not designing the, neither the meeting nor the agenda. He accepted to go. And it wasn't, I, I want to pause for a second at this meeting because, uh, you know, the, the significance wasn't, wasn't just that they agreed to have this next meeting, but it also started the relationship between the Pope and the Grand Imam, where they really hit it off. And I, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that. Yes, it was obvious that in that private conversation, which they had on May the 23rd, 2016, they obviously discovered that they had much in common, that they were on the same page on many issues, that the Grand Imam was strongly against the use, the use of God's name to defend, to in, to in favor of violence, in favor of terrorism, the Pope was on the same page. They were both concerned about poverty in the world. They were both concerned about arms buildup. They were both concerned about peace and the speeches they gave, speeches etc. But the striking thing was the way the Pope and the Imam embraced after the Imam had spoken. Right, that was one of those pictures that went everywhere. Francis met with Egypt's president, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, and symbolically embraced the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar, a thousand-year-old center of learning in Sunni Islam. There he encouraged imams and their students to reject violence and preach peace. That went viral. Because, you know, the man in the street isn't going to read speeches. Totally. But a photo tells everything. And there... In the midst of all this was that was happening around the world, the violence, the uh, being Muslims being blamed. Here was a top Muslim leader and the Pope embracing, and obviously enjoying each other's company. And then some months later, the Grand Imam came to Rome again, and the Pope invited him. And the judge, of course, was traveling with the Grand Imam. They had a formal meeting and went along and. And after the formal meeting, the, the Pope said, the, the judge told me, the Pope said to them, have you got any arrangements for lunch? And they said, no, we'll not know. We go back to the hotel. We, the Pope said, no, no, you come. You have lunch with me. So there's a photo in the book of the six of them sitting at the table. And at that table, during the discussion, the judge said, may, may I make a suggestion? He said, you two have had a big impact with the Conference of Peace in Cairo. Why don't you work together on a document on human fraternity? So it was the judge's idea. Yes. The judge is a key actor here, and he has suffered for it, as I tell in my story. Well, and he actually talks about how he kind of suffered for it at this lunch, right? Well, the, the, well, the, before the lunch, the Grand Imam said to the Pope, he said, this is really my great helper, and he has been largely responsible for restoring the dialogue with the Vatican. He said, but he's, he's mm -hmm. being suffered a lot by people who, uh, ill-intentioned people. And he told the Pope, he said he suffered a lot. And the Pope listened. And uh, the Grand Imam said to him, I've even told him that he should go back to the judiciary and leave me so as to avoid problems. And the Pope said to him, and I think this is where the title of the book comes from, something about those who engage in reform. He says, the path of reform is full of thorns and troubles, but God Almighty will protect him. And so, yeah, that is the name of the book, The Pope and the Imam, A Thorny Path. 
So the Pope, when he proposed this idea of writing the document, the two, the Pope and the Grand Imam said, this is a great idea. So they said, okay, it's a difficult task, but two things. One, you will have to work in it with somebody, with uh, the Pope's secretary was a Coptic priest, and he became a great friend of Father Johannes Lasley. And he became great friends with the, with the judge. And the two of them, plus the Grand Imam and the Pope, only the four of them knew about the document being written, the human fraternity document being written. And the Pope insisted many times, and the Grand Imam agreed, we have to keep this totally confidential, otherwise people may hinder it in one way or another. That's right, yeah. You can imagine how that would happen, totally, with all kinds of rumors and speculation about what could be in it, definitely. And so when the when there were the grand imam started writing on the drafting the the first draft of things, then he gave the text to the the judge who took it to Rome, who gave it to Monsignor Johannes, who gave it to the Pope, and then the Pope started working it, gave it back to Johannes, who gave it back to the judge, who took it back to the grand imam. It was completely confidential. Nobody in the Vatican knew it was happening, and nobody in Cairo. For many of the 1.5 million Catholics in the United Arab Emirates, it's the stuff of dreams. The idea of the Pope visiting the Arabian Peninsula, the birthplace of Islam, was unthinkable a few years ago. We all know how the story ends, right? They end up, you know, signing the document in Abu Dhabi. But uh, there's a little bit more to this this thorny path part, right, that, that you mentioned earlier. The the judge actually had some some difficulties in setting up this, this Abu Dhabi meeting, right? The real blow came the morning he was due to travel to Abu Dhabi from Cairo for that famous historic meeting. He was told, you cannot travel. He has never said who told him or what. The, the Grand Imam was shocked. The Pope said, why don't you come to Rome and I will take you and your family on the plane to Abu Dhabi. The, the, but the wife said that she would not travel without him, that uh, she would stay with him. And so he sat in Cairo and watched the signing of the document with which he'd been the architect. But the Pope and the Grand Imam went out of their way to defend him because both of them in their public speeches spoke about the absentee, the, 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 the great uh, counselor who had really made this possible. So they made very clear that they were standing four square behind this man. But obviously he has suffered. But I think this book will be, as I say in my article, I think it will be required reading for anybody who wants to study Christian-Muslim relations in this part of the 21st century. And maybe we can talk a little bit about you know where where the story has gone after after where the book leaves off because we've we've seen a lot of follow-ups to this document we talked earlier about how it's being implemented in some schools but you know what what what's the judge up to these days well the, what's happened is that the 
United Arab Emirates authorities, the Crown Prince especially, they supported the setting up of an award for those who are promoting Christian-Muslim relations. They, they gave the first award to the to the Pope and to the Grand Imam, who then, of course, devoted it, the money immediately to. It's quite sizable, I understand. Then they set up uh, a religious complex in Abu Dhabi, where there is it's called the Abrahamic family home. Was this the side-by-side -side church and mosque that we talked about way back? There's a church and a mosque and a synagogue. Yeah. In Abu Dhabi now. And then they set up, more importantly still, the higher committee for the human fraternity document for the implementation and the the, the judge's secretary general of that and he's done f fabulous work they've also making their ways into all kinds of institutions and organizations some people in the vatican told me they've been amazed how this document has taken off how it has impacted and this is the judge who presented the pope's encyclical fratelli tutti right we would be remiss not to mention Fratelli Tutti since it was so heavily inspired by the human fraternity document. And it was kind of seen as Pope Francis's sort of follow-up, his, his kind of Catholic version of the fraternity document, if you will. Well, companion. Companion on the journey. And he had the judge present that, which was the first time that a Muslim had ever presented an, an encyclical at the Vatican. And after the judge had to leave the Al-Azhar, the Pope decided to award him the top honor, the high commander of the star, a Vatican honor that's given to very, I think he's been the first Muslim ever to receive it. But the, the thing that struck me, the, the Pope calls him, I, I listened, I heard him talking on, on one time, he called him the enfant terrible. <laughs> terrible child. <laughs> and both the grand imam and the Pope referred to him as my son. Oh, that's really sweet. If our listeners want to learn more about this, you can find Jerry's full interview with Judge Mohammed Abdel Salam at americamagazine.org and linked in the show notes. You can also find a link there to purchase the book, The Pope and the Grand Imam, A Thorny Path. Jerry, thanks for thanks for walking me through this this really fascinating story. Appreciate it. Well, I hope our some of our listeners will go and read the book. I think they will draw inspiration from the book and they will learn much more than any of us would have known up to now about the inner workings of Islam. All right. And uh, next week, we'll have a special episode on some of the inner work workings of the Catholic Church. So stay tuned for that. Jerry, I'll talk to you next week. Before we go, here are a few other headlines that we've got our eyes on. First off, on Monday, Pope Francis appointed the theology professor, Father Armando Mateo, as undersecretary for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. The undersecretary is the person who manages the day-to-day -day proceedings of the office, and this is the first time that post has gone to a theologian. Father Mateo's work has previously focused on the difficulties that the Western Church has had in reaching young people and women, so it'll be interesting to see his contributions to the CDF. 
Next up, Pope Francis released a message to the World Bank and International Monetary Fund. For the last year or so, he had been calling on the two organizations to forgive the debts of poorer nations, which they recently resolved to do. In this message, Pope Francis shifted gears a little bit and urged them to calculate what he calls the ecological debts that wealthy nations owe to poorer nations. And he urged them to use that money to help poorer nations who often face environmental exploitations to develop sustainably. Finally, on Sunday, which was Divine Mercy Sunday, Pope Francis celebrated Mass with a limited congregation that included male and female prison inmates, nurses, people with disabilities, refugees, and priests who are committed in a special way to acts of mercy. The Pope told them in a very tender homily, quote, As far as God is concerned, no one is useless, discredited, or a castaway. And he said, God, in fact, believes in us even more than we believe in ourselves. You can find all those stories, including the full text of Pope Francis's homily, at americamagazine.org and, as always, linked in the show notes. And stay tuned for a special deep dive episode next week, where we'll take you inside the secret process by which bishops get their jobs. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance from Robert Balasser at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can email us your questions and comments at insidethevatican at americamagazine.org. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.